Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 7 The Tentative Blend of Two Reds Part 1 Aziraphale has always liked Emeritage. As much as he likes tasting the pure varietals, all gathered and fermented and aged to the best in class, there's something about the blending of grape types that can really lead to a flavor that's bigger than the sum of its parts. He's at the Cecilia, which has turned out to be quite delicious. Most of what they put out is blended, mainly because their vineyards too small to really support pure varietals. The owner, an older woman named Tara, has been happily explaining to Aziraphale and Warlock how the business works. Apparently, it's a common thing here. There are lots that make grapes but not wine, Tara tells them as Warlock reaches for another bag of crisps. And wineries that don't grow grapes. And everything in between, of course, but the truth is that you need maybe ten acres to even start to support yourself and your own grapes, and that assumes nothing happens to your yield. Fascinating, Aziraphale tells her. There's a meritage of Pinot Noir, Syrah, and Merlot that he's currently enjoying. It's deliciously layered, and she's offered him two more to sample. So not everyone here is... goes directly from their own land to their own bottle? Oh, heavens no, Tara says. She's tall and stout, solidly built around the shoulders, and Aziraphale absolutely can picture her wading around in wooden barrels of grapes, happily crushing them with her feet. Or whatever they do now. As much as he loves the end product, Aziraphale's never learned much about the process. Not until this trip, really. That's what it's for, isn't it? This ground is variable. Tara tells them. Even ten acres sometimes ain't ten acres. Hills change it, trees change it. Hell, some spots are gold-rich soil and some are ultimate, and you can get surprised on your own damn lands. Sometimes failed vineyards get split up into smaller areas people can afford to buy as an investment, tend their own stuff. There's no rule saying you need to grow and bottle on the same piece. Aziraphale's making notes as fast as he can. I would think it's more... efficient. He tilts his head, because that isn't exactly the right word. Economical, perhaps? But then again, I really don't know very much about the business, just the... Uh... And he gestures at his nearly empty glass of wine... Just the end product. Look, there are things that can happen out here and impact somebody's crop. Nobody stays consistent from year to year. So, yeah, we all do business in whatever way we can. 
Tara shrugs. We found out the hard way that we can't survive with the mix of grapes we had, so we had a choice. Either outsource some of the product, or slash and burn and replant to a mix we could support. Warlock, beside him, is stabbing his fingers at his phone on some flashy game. Aziraphale smiles at him, and then gestures for Tara to give the boy a refill. It's not a thing to be ashamed of, Tara tells him then, and Aziraphale jerks his head up to meet her eyes, surprised. Her smile's a bit wry. Some of them boys will tell you a wine only counts when it's womb to tomb, but that's the prejudice of the land speaking, them that have been here for generations and think their way's better. <laughs> she laughs. There are those who know their soil and their flavours and their winemaking well enough without needing to know every inch of the dirt. Aziraphale smiles at her, taking another long sip of this. The word means marriage, he thinks, of grapes from different places, the yields of different soils. He likes them because of that, the breath and flavour, if not the depth. He wonders whether Crowley has tried his hand at a meritage. Aziraphale feels like it could be stunning. There are plenty of wineries here with no land, Tara continues. And plenty of vineyards with no winery. Some folks have a neck for one and not the other. Aziraphale finishes off his glass and puts a couple notes into his journal. So, what do you have next? Let's try this, Tara says, and her smile is something secretive. Aziraphale wonders whether all vineyard owners have a smile like that, as if they know something you don't, not about the wine, which they obviously know many things about, but about yourself. She pours. It's a delightful red ruby, the lees marked but thin. This is a Pinot Noir meritage, she tells him. Three different Pinots from completely different spots in the Russian River Valley. One's ours, the other two we buy. It's richer than any other Pinot you'll find here. Now, that sounds like a challenge, Aziraphale says as he breathes it in. Sharp raspberry, then, with plums underlying and the essence of burnt toast following, adding a hint of smoke and the delicious tease of a bit of heavy vanilla. Oh my, but this is dazzling! Aziraphale, Gabriel repeats. His voice is even more booming over the speakerphone conference call thing, whatever Warlock had set up for them, and then vanished from to hide in the corner of the room with some book on his tablet. Aziraphale keeps sending him cross looks. Warlock keeps making terrible faces. It's the only bearable part of this entire thing.
We've seen a definite increase in your traffic since you started this trip, and since that excellent long piece about that little winery you found, there's been another spike. You have to keep it up. That isn't exactly how it works, Aziraphale insists. His hands are clutching each other on the table in front of him, not touching the keys, specifically whichever key would hang up on Gabriel's stupid face. Good pieces depend on good wineries. No, not just good wineries. Great ones, he brightens. I may have found another today. Going to come up with some pairings today, see how they settle out. Just find something great about every winery then, Gabriel says, as if it's easy. Pick the one stupendous thing about every place and write it like you wrote that last one. I swear, Uriel only had to add a couple of the SEO keywords and she was able to keep it in the captions. Aziraphale rubs a hand over his face and hopes Gabriel can't hear the sigh he's trying to hide. Gabriel, I'm not going to compromise my standards to produce copy, he says, some of the frustration coming out at the tip of his tongue. I certainly won't publish anything negative. I know, Michael's told me that enough times already, but some wineries are worth four paragraphs and some are worth fourteen. Ah, Aziraphale, you're being difficult, Gabriel tells him frankly, and Aziraphale throws Warlock a desperate glance. Warlock rolls his eyes and gives the setup the middle finger. Aziraphale suddenly wishes he had a thousand eyes just so that he could roll them all at Gabriel. Look, what about the different tack? Aziraphale hasn't fully thought the idea through, mainly because Gabriel can still veto it, but it's worth a try. I've been learning a good deal about the process of everything, really. Growing the grapes, making the wines, how things age. Do you think my... He spits the hated words out before he can regret them. My target demographic would find a little of that interesting as part of the book as well. Huh. Gabriel hums, but it isn't the one where he immediately shuts Aziraphale down, so there's hope. Let me have Michael run some numbers, get back to you on that, but it's an interesting tack. Not bad. If it got readers more interested in wine country, we could sell direct advertising spots to hotels and wineries out there, crack a deal with some of them. Maybe even sponsor a wine tour if things get as big as we're hoping. Aziraphale can almost hear Gabriel's most annoying smile. And they're gonna get that big, aren't they? I certainly hope so, Aziraphale tells his hands, which have come up to form fists in front of his face. That might be a bad sign. 
So we've talked about the blog. You're gonna work on that. Gabriel says breezily, absolutely ignoring that Aziraphale has said nothing of the sort. How goes the book then? It's starting marvellously, Aziraphale tells him, which is actually not a lie. He started a meandering bit that will stand either as introduction or as a first chapter describing his first impressions of the Russian River Valley country while weaving through a, mostly made up, bit about how he'd gotten into food and wine pairings in the first place. His normal writing tone has worked quite well with it so far, and he's fairly sure he'll be able to finish the piece with a great lead-in to the rest of the book. The rest of the book is, of course, the issue. Do send the snippets, Gabriel says with jovial cheer. It could be forced, but Aziraphale fears it's actually genuine. You know your little bits and pieces cheer me up when they arrive in my inbox. It's so full of serious business, you know? Aziraphale laughs because he is supposed to laugh when Gabriel says things like that. I shall. It won't hurt to send a paragraph or two. He's fairly sure Gabriel won't actually read any of it anyway. All right, well, I have to run. The man sounds actually disappointed, as if Gabriel has real human feelings. We need at least two more articles this week, you know, big ones. Good luck. Thank you, Aziraphale says politely, because he doesn't dare to say anything else. After the phone line clicks, Aziraphale summons Warlock over to make sure everything is truly disconnected, and once the boy has finished, Aziraphale lets loose the frustrated snarl that's been hovering in the back of his throat like a bad aftertaste. Warlock sits down across from him and taps at the table until he gets Aziraphale's attention. Increased traffic is a good thing, you idiot, he says fondly. I know, Aziraphale says with a sigh. But it's only going to make them push me more. I already have no clue how to fill a book with my little musings. Pressure will only make it worse. Nah, Warlock says, tapping at the table again. It's good for us too. Give me more clout to push back against that wanker. The traffic is there for you as. It's only going to make Gabriel want more out of me, Aziraphale admits. If they correlate the traffic with something, they're going to ask for more of it. Warlock makes this noise that's half laugh and half something else entirely. He leans forward, elbows on the table, hands clasped. And Aziraphale's reminded that this young man is, in fact, his assistant and agent both. 
Warlock's been to school for this, went through a number of trainings in his industry before officially picking up this contract. Sometimes Aziraphale despairs, but honestly, Warlock does know what he's doing. I know this contract occasionally drives you crazy, Warlock tells him. That's okay. Most contracts will. They're like that. They always try to squeeze as much profit out of you as they can. That's the other side's job, okay? Just acknowledge it. Aziraphale frowns, but he nods, afraid he's being particularly sulky about the whole thing. The thing that you need to remember, as is that you're the one with the power in your hands here, not them. Warlock must see the way he wants to protest written on his face, because he pulls his hands up from the table to gesture harshly for Aziraphale to stop. Yes, you lose the opportunity and go back to where you were before, but I mean, so what? You've been there before, you know how that works. You could be comfortable there. Remember that they're the ones taking the risk on marketing you in this weird way. You know what you are as. You're a known quantity. Warlock sniffs. Probably the most stable known quantity outside the New York Stock Exchange. Friggin' idiot. It's said with unbearable fondness, and Aziraphale wonders whether he's going to tear up at it. Gabriel can make requests and will consider them, Warlock tells him, grinning now. And sometimes, sure, he'll be right about it, but I'm not letting them hang you out to dry, for fuck's sake. You pay me far too much for me to do that to you. To his surprise, Aziraphale ends up laughing at that. <laughs> Not nearly enough, my good lad. Not nearly enough. Warlock lets his grin sharpen once he can see Aziraphale knows he's joking about it. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. For now, let's look at the photographs I got at Cecilia today and see if any of them inspire you to a nice long article, yeah? The thing is... There's part of Aziraphale that's suitably intimidated by FTA by Gabriel and Michael and the others, by an all-expenses-paid trip to wine country for six months, by the promise of a publishing deal and a blogging fan base. Intimidated isn't exactly the right word, because it isn't like Aziraphale's cowering in this light. It's more impressed or intrigued? Maybe, but neither one of those is correct either. It's a combination of all of those, and probably a dozen other feelings mixed up with all the issues he firmly tells everyone he doesn't have. The point here is, it is, really, 
that Aziraphale feels like he's been granted a near-miraculous opportunity here, and he owes it to himself, and to Warlock, to at least explore it to its full potential before deciding it isn't for him. Sure, there are signs that it isn't. Aziraphale doesn't like any of the corporate edges, nor does he enjoy having to tweak all of his opinions towards the positive. He understands the reluctance for a large corporation to accidentally insult a potential investor, but back in his old days on his old blog, some of his more negative reviews had brought him more attention because they encouraged dialogue. He'd gotten the best responses from places he hadn't been that favorable of the first time as they tried to change his mind with additional recommendations. Having to tread that corporate line is really not his thing. Nor is filling what he considers his above-average prose with these online internet buzzwords they insist on inserting into his sentences. Aziraphale saves his best writing for his own work, but what he puts up on his blog is a good representation of his skill as a writer, and he always feels like it's ruined by these tawdry additions they insist he makes within his own sentence structure and narrative. It's ridiculous. But all of these things being said makes Aziraphale feel like he hasn't given the opportunity its full chance to, well, burst. he thinks, for one thrilling moment, picturing Crowley's face all lit up with rosy drunken glow as he told Aziraphale about the vines. It's the principle of the thing, truly. That's the point. Aziraphale will have to learn how to bend without breaking. It's absolutely doable. He's learned it so many times before, and to be honest, there is a strength in learning how to do so without shattering one's core. It's worth giving Gabriel due diligence. Maybe he'll find he really enjoys it after all. Because there are parts of this life Aziraphale is afraid he could love. The lusciousness of the flavors. The variability of the terrain. The sun, the way 15 miles of road can drop 30 degrees Fahrenheit in temperature. The fog. The soft rain. The people as well. Madame Tracy and her sergeant. Tara. Crowley leaps into his mind again, dazzling with enthusiasm, his handsome face lit with curiosity even behind those damned shades. Aziraphale likes talking to people here, the ones who are actually curious about his subject matter. Not like Gabriel, who's only curious about dollar signs. Not like Warlock, even, who displays a mild curiosity about Aziraphale's work that stretches only as far as Warlock needs to impress people when on dates. 
Aziraphale is a creature of habits and a creature of comforts. The new unsettles him until he can take it and weave it into his own tartan, and this valley, so far, is nothing but surprises. Their side deck is stunning, Aziraphale is finding. The rear deck is obviously more so, but it also hosts multiple long tables and a constantly churning jacuzzi tub, which he finds more than a bit intimidating. The side deck is a simple straight stretch of lumber and railing, out a bit into the vineyards that surround Le Petit Voile, and positioned the way he is, Aziraphale can enjoy the sunset without staring directly into it. He has a full glass of Cabernet Sauvignon from Elise, which he fully intends to head back to visit one of these days, and is hesitantly pecking out what he thinks, intends, to be the real introduction to whatever book he ends up writing out here, tucked into California's flat hills, its cool heats, its dry rivers. He's been working in his head and in his sleep to try to capture a feeling, and he thinks that maybe now he has the words. Have you ever smelled at a thing, perhaps tasted it, and been projected head over heels down the astral plane of some memory? They say that smell and taste are the most susceptible of the senses. The easiest led astray, maybe, by so quickly attaching themselves to the scenes we keep within our heads. Don't worry, all the senses do it to a point. There remains a particular album that played in the background of a particularly rough moment in my life that I do still adore, but cannot listen to without having to wade through the sick nostalgia of regret to enjoy it. Think about it. The whiff of rosemary that hints at your grandmother, or the bit of cardamom in the bakery you stopped at during university, the smoky, stomach-turning-rich scent of petrol you walked past on the way to your first job, the odd esters of old books, Sense and tastes, you see, we don't often lead with those, and that gives them the ability to surprise us. They approach stealthily from the rear, because we are paying attention to our hearts and our heads and our companions, and it's only years later that you'll realize you'll forever associate the taste of licorice with this particular bad breakup. Think about this now and conjure it for yourself. Nay, witchcraft is this. There's science to support it and the ramblings of a man with too many taste memories in his mouth besides. Remember those moments you've had where a mere glance of a flavor has spawned something familiar to you at the back of your tongue. Taste for that familiarity within it. It might be positive, might be negative, but there's a sense of knowing that comes along with it, and that particular essence is what grounds you into the sensation. 
Think about this. Remember this flavor. Hold it in your mouth. Breathe it into your sinuses. Let it become part of what you are right now, and consider it. The you who is holding this feeling, keeping this familiarity between your teeth and your throat, is caught here. A you of now and a you of the past entwined together. Now, if you intend to read on, take that feeling and banish it. Swallow it down your throat. Exhale it through your nose. Breathe cleanly to purge out those smoky channels. Expel the air through your mouth to be sure you rid yourself of it. Breathe fresh. Do not think of the lingering tendrils of the past, right? This is not a thing that should interfere. Because the thing is, I came out here and experienced a new thing. Like a breath of fresh air, yes, but like something I had been missing for years within my lungs. It was the identification of a brand new hole in my throat, a leak into my gut. Something that would have been fine had I never tasted it, but once having had it, I'd never again rest without it. Those who know me know I grew up near London and I'm a man of those times. My experience and development towards the bottle always involved France and Spain and Italy and Germany. Those hills and valleys lit up with what they called proper sun. There was a narrow road upon which flavours could find their speed, and we drank and called it a marvel. Each region had a cannon, and the flavours obeyed. But then I came here, to these ridges and dips, the edges of a continent. Tectonic plates that have moved across each other for centuries, creating a terroir of absolutely joyful chaos. I came here and I drank of their fruit, and as it so happens, it showed me something new. The taste of the wines of California is nothing like what I've had before. There is no nostalgia here, there are no lingering tendrils to familiar vintages and no familiar callouts of tradition and nothing familiar lingers here at all. The taste of blackberry in California is not the taste of blackberry in France. And as my entire soul has decided, we are all the better for it. I never would have known the lack was there had I not taken the chance. But these opportunities can strike through to the heart of you and flash your own gaps and gaping holes up against the wall like lightning. For now, my friend, read on with me and learn how I learned to fill a hole inside myself I never knew was there. 
Aziraphale only comes back to himself once the sun has clearly set and a chill has set in and the darkness is making it hard for him to see his fingers long since stilled on the keys. He rereads what he wrote and he knows that it is the beginning of the book that he wants to write, but some small part of him wonders whether or not he's truly talking about wine anymore.